Today's TribCast is presented by the University of North Texas. UNT makes Texas stronger by generating an economic impact of $1.65 billion in the Dallas-Fort Worth area annually. Learn more at impact.unt.edu. Texas talking, oh, what was that that you said? Texas talking, oh, gonna hoop upside your head. Texas talking, oh, tell me who can you trust when Texas guys are in Texas guys Hi, I'm Scott Dadich, Editor-in-Chief of Wired, the Silicon Valley Bible that covers the influence of technology and design in our lives. I was raised a Texan, and I'm a proud alum of Texas Monthly, but today I split my time between Wired San Francisco and New York offices. Long before I became a big-shot editor, making magazines with folks like J.J. Abrams and President Obama, I was Evan Smith's personal enchilada courier. But that's a story for another time. You're here for TribCast, so let's get to it. Here's your host, Emily Ramshaw. Thank you. This is Emily Ramshaw here with your pre-Thanksgiving TribCast. I'm joined by CEO and enchilada consumer extraordinaire, Evan Smith. First of all, lie. Second of all, why was this intro not like your mother-in-law from Long Island? Uh, my, she, that would have been a perfect Thanksgiving intro. She's probably not even watching, though she normally does, because she is on her way here. Psyched? Yeah. I'll have someone here to take care of my kid for a few days. Okay. <laughs> Uh, so that's what you're doing for Thanksgiving. It's true, other than hosting this TribCast. Okay. Executive Editor Ross Ramsey. Howdy. Are you in town? I am. What will you be a, eating? A pile of 14 people. With a pile You'll of 14 be- people. <laughs> I won't be eating them. Yeah. Holy God, it's some news. We only eat the, it's we only the Walking eat the Dead. All of a sudden, it's The Walking Dead. <laughs> I like children, but I can't eat a whole one. <laughs> and political reporter Patrick Svitek. Good afternoon. And? What are you going to be doing for Thanksgiving? Indiana. Thanksgiving? Um, no, I'm staying in Austin. Uh, what are you doing? Some TBD plans. You're going to batch uh, it? TBD? Yeah. Are you going to Ross's <laughs> house? You and Rosenthal going to batch it? <laughs> maybe. Really? Maybe. I'm, so I'm already cooking myself, but I'm definitely staying uh, here. I, I just have to say, Patrick, you might not know this about him, but he made a pineapple pie yesterday for the office that was Apparently divine. Apparently it was delicious. I, I, I want to go back yeah, and didn't see win the an tape. Award. I want to go back uh, and see the tape of you <laughs> making that pie. I'm embittered, too. I didn't win an award, either. <laughs> so you and Rosenthal going to spend uh, Thanksgiving night walking up and down 60 looking for Matthew McConaughey? Why do you assume it's going to be Rosenthal? Because they're roommates. It's like a sitcom. He's going to be around, I think. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if we're going to be spending the, the day together, but. He'll, yeah. he'll I still. wish we could do. I wish we could do an entire tripcast <laughs> devoted to the adventures of Svitek and Rosenthal. Look, Nothing would make me happy. Rosenthal will be spending Thanksgiving um, cheering Northwestern's basketball victory oh over my UT. God, did you watch Woo-hoo. that last night? That was an ass whipping. There is no other way to describe it, and a perfect transition into a conversation about UT sports. Exactly, which You're is welcome. The, this is what we're doing on this tripcast. I even had to tweet out yesterday and get former UT football players to explain to me why UT football is so screwed Did you up. Tweet right out now. something like they kicked a home run or something. <laughs> no, I'm not that bad. Uh, all right, so because most of you already know what we're talking about, we'll just jump right in. What is going on with Charlie Strong? What we're talking about. Oh, you don't? No, I'm teasing. <laughs> Ross, uh, what? What's going on with Charlie Strong, Evan? What's going on with Charlie Strong is he's apparently a really nice guy who has been meaningful to the players. I just want to give team. him a hug. He's a really nice guy who's been meaningful to the players on his team. His players are very emotional at the thought that he will not be their coach. But the fact is, they didn't hire a psychologist or a counselor or a friend. They hired a coach to win football games for the University of Texas at Austin, which is an extraordinarily demanding place to be a head football coach, maybe the most demanding place. Boosters and donors do not have patience. He has not been successful at winning football games. Now, of course, 
He can't win a football game by himself. The fact is, the kid who is their kicker, who transferred from where he did somewhere in Louisiana, Domain, missed a field goal that he should have made early in that game against Kansas. Had he made that field goal, they would have won the game. So how's that the, Charlie the guy in the, fault? Well, that's my point. The guy in the end zone on the last play uh, before the field goal was kicked by Kansas at the end of the game, who did not catch an obviously easy interception in the end zone. Had he made that interception, that we would not be having this conversation. Charlie Strong does not ultimately win football games, but he is responsible for the losing of football games. And he isn't a $5 million a year therapist, as you just called him, or he, whatever, or a friend. Or psychologist. I mean, I, I think it's, it's absolutely great that the, the people on his team, that I saw Boyette and a bunch of the players yesterday say how much he meant to them, and he had made them better men and made them better people. I think that's all fantastic. But at the end of the day, it's about wins and losses. Well, question right? from Marty on Facebook. When and why did we lose the concept of education with athletic participation? Because we like winning football games. Ross, you <laughs> answer that one. Well, I mean, you know, they, they decided at some point in the history of this school and a bunch of other schools that they were going to have sports. And then the sports became big money makers and became the kinds of things that drive big donors to the school who, you know, sometimes spend money on sports and sometimes spend money on law schools and natatoriums and all kinds right. of things. And it's just part of the money end of the business. You can be offended by it, but it makes part of the it makes the academic part work. Conceptually, the idea of a student athlete is true but not accurate. I, I we we hear these players referred to as not just men uh, male athletes but female athletes and not just playing the high-profile sports like football but all the way down to things like, you know, tennis. Right, where there's not a lot of, of, of crowd love at the college level as much as there is for football, right? For tennis or one of the lesser sports, or non-money-making sports, we hear a lot about student athletes. Right, technically true, but at the end of the day, the emphasis is not really on the first half of that compound noun or the or adjective. It's a, it's on the second. In fact, it's become so controversial that places like Northwestern, not to bring up Northwestern again, there were, you know, questions about whether athletes should, you know, unionize. unionize allows VTech into this conversation as a proud <laughs> alumnus of Northwestern. My only God, connection I, to the I feel some, I, I feel somehow outnumbered. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was it. That was a huge debate while I was there. I forgot how it actually, I can't recall actually how it was ultimately resolved, but it was a... It was I resolved it was, in the negative. They, yeah. they, they couldn't unionize. unionize. Yeah. It was right. a huge, huge debate when I was there. And yeah. the fact that, that Charlie Strong is being paid $5 million a year is a meaningful component of this. Right. But it is not the only, that is not the whole story. If you were being paid a million a year or $500,000 a year, at the end of the day, boosters and donors want wins. And you can be the greatest person in the world. You can be the nicest guy in the world. You can be the most meaningful interpersonal relationship that these kids have. If you don't win football games, can I be honest? you're not going to be the coach. Wait, but why do donors, sorry, this is going to sound super naive, like why do donors <laughs> care so much about winning football teams? Because this is the visible part of their support for a university. They can go out. This is the parade. Who pays for the football coach? Well, well the Longhorn Foundation. And the, I mean, this is a complicated conversation. Right. But UT is atypical. Like, am I paying for the football coach? No. Well, what are you, what are you giving money to? Well, it's like a, tax dollars? It's a state employee. And, and it the Longhorn Foundation is a private the, philanthropy that, right, that, that ultimately funds the athletic. Are any of my coach is always the top line in our are any of my tax dollars, salaries. Are any of my tax dollars funding this guy? I can't say for certain that no tax dollars Bobby indirectly no. are going to it, but I really believe that this is entirely paid for, self-funded. Right. The athletic program at the University of Texas is self-funded. And in fact— It is entirely self-funded. In, in, in fact, the athletic program is a donor state. 
in that money from the Longhorn Foundation mm -hmm. and from monies raised associated right. with the athletic program ultimately find Those their way back into the university. Elsewhere. Right. A question from Chris on Facebook. How much does it cost to fire Charlie, his entire staff, and hire a bunch more new people? Well, I don't know They've about got the $10 million dollars on, on Charlie yeah. himself. He's got right. two years left in his contract. So they got to buy him Matthew out. Matthew Washington's remember, story, it's $10.7 million. So and remember, they had to buy him out of his contract at Louisville. Right. Which so was the about end of just started off paying a bunch of money to get him. So, like, why not just let him finish then? What's the motivation? First of all, would he get kicked to the curb immediately, or would they let him finish out this contract and just, like, put him on notice that we're firing no, him? No, they would kick him to the curb immediately. If they fired like him— before the next do, game? If they do no. what they have not well, they done and what him before a lot of people right. expect him to do is, you know, sometime Friday night uh, after the TCU game. Um, is Texas going to get the ordinary case TCU? in these cases? TCU has not had a great season. Mm -hmm. It is possible that Texas will be TCU. It is not possible that the Texas team that showed up in Kansas will be TCU. Mm -hmm. But the Texas team that beat Baylor, right? Right. Or the Texas team that beat Notre Dame absolutely could beat TCU. Mm -hmm. But would a TCU win matter at all? Or well, is this so, kind of so here's, still, here's as where far as Strong's future is Here is where it would matter in the cos cosmic sense. You need to get six wins to be six wins. Pardon me to be bowl right, right. eligible. Mm -hmm. Now you're not going to get in a great bowl, mm -hmm. and if you're this Texas team, even with six wins, you might get in the Trump Tower Taco right. Bowl or something. The, but the ring around gonna, the bowl. Right? You're not going to get in a particularly good bowl, but right. you have the possibility of being bowl eligible. Strong himself said that one of the reasons he regretted losing the game in Kansas was that he has these seniors for whom going to a bowl game is meaningful, and if right. they don't get to six wins, they don't get a good bowl Meaningful for bid. them and no one else. Well, no, I actually I sit around on December 29th or whatever the hell it is and watch the, you know, the Royito's Salsa Bowl or whatever it, it ends up being. the heck out of talking to the that. family. It does. <laughs> it does. <laughs> Meanwhile, he's, like, you know, tweeting to us to figure out why we aren't publishing more stories over the holidays. <laughs> Me? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's right. what you do while you're sitting you're there. absolutely right. No, I actually, but I actually think it does matter. I mean, that's why beating TCU sure. would matter. Yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. it, you know, it ruined Charlie Guerin's holidays, but, you know, other than that, it'd be... Mm -hmm. You know, it'd be a largely positive outcome. If, well, this, if, if football wasn't this important, they wouldn't pay the coach $5 million. They'd pay them like a really right. tenured English professor, and that would be that. But it brings in a bunch of money. It's a whole right. – it's a – you know, it's – it's a satellite of the university more than a part of the university, and it makes a bunch of money. And, and in this case, in Texas's case, it actually, like Evan said, sends money back into the and school. And it's a public policy issue. And, and because here you have this massive fight between right now the University of Texas, the University of Houston systems right. over the plans by Chancellor McRaven to <laughs> invade, say over to, to invade Poland. No, no, to invade Poland, basically. That's what's going on. It's like Hitler marching across, you know. Europe. Okay, now you're alone. Whoa. No, I mean, no. I mean, what my point is that, like, <laughs> and this is, the, the Houston people view UT coming to Houston with a with an academic institution to be, in, in essence, like a wartime invasion. That is how they have reacted to it. They have reacted negatively to that. Well, now you have the University of Texas with the very possible prospect out in the air of them attempting to poach the coach of the University of Houston, who's been quite successful. I like poach the coach. That's and and Tillman Fertitta, the, the chair of the UT, the University of Houston Regents, within the last twenty four hours, basically said. We're going to do whatever it takes to keep this coach. So from a public policy standpoint, there is this public university kind of tete-a-tete -tete going on now, yeah. you know, or this this war going on right. that is is going to be accentuated. It's already in, at a low level. It's going to get to be. Yeah, he said he said money won't be a problem, right? Right. Mm -hmm. Well, and there's two. You know, there's Sell two. Some more catfish. Yeah. That, whatever his. That's actually an interesting <laughs> auction because there's two <laughs> Big Twelve jobs. Uh, Baylor's open. Well, and then the Baylor job is a Big right. 12 job that, that Herman is apparently also. Baylor apparently would love right. to have Herman come. 
And, uh, you know, I think the question is, if, if you look at how Strong has been treated over the last couple of days, you could argue whether Strong should or should not be the coach, but whether the way Strong has been treated over the last couple of days is a topic of conversation. Mm-hmm. Does Tom Herman want to come from Houston to University of Texas if he feels like this is not an environment in which he'll be supported? If I was Baylor and I was having problems with moral leadership at my university and the problems that they'd have, I'd hire Charlie Strong to That's clean up that program and, and maybe produce some wins. If he could produce the wins. Right. He could just keep his house in Austin. All this drama over something that's just leading to concussions and, you know, traumatic brain injury. Oh, my God. Thanks a lot, Will Smith. What's Sorry, your pro- what's but, your problem? I what? mean, this whole debate is is stupid. I'm just going <laughs> to draw a line in the sand there. If I had a son, I wouldn't let him play football. I haven't allowed mine to play football. Yeah, so here you are, you know, but so, waxing so on about this something He's that you my think... son. Look yeah, at me. Yeah, well... So... These should be all our sons, Evan. My, my son has actually announced that he wants to play football as a senior, and I'm like, only if I'm dead, you're playing football as a senior. So, so now, why yeah, right. Dad. That is frou-frou private school. <laughs> oh, but did you – are you going to let her say that to me? He went to public school. I went to public high school. Did Thank you? you. Yeah, oh, yes. Like Fort yes. Wayne Consolidated uh, High Homestead School? Homestead High School. Homestead High School. Homestead. I actually just completed a questionnaire for the weekly newsletter there oh, about okay. where... Famous alumnus. Yeah. 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 Exactly. All right. Gonna, did you pose for one of those chin-on-fist yeah, exactly. pictures? Like in the... I'm going to allow the public to ask one more question on this topic, and then we're moving on. And that is, how can UT Athletics take a $10 million hit? Can it take it? I mean, I think they're betting... Easily I, and with pleasure. It's I like running over a bird. I think they're betting really? that, it's that if they if they lose games, they'll take more than a $10 million hit. And if right. they win games, they'll cover it. Remember when Matt Brown was still the coach? It was the last years of the Matt yeah, Brown era. Yeah, how did era, he stick around so and long? And the team was like 4-7 and seven or 5-6 and six or whatever whatever it was, right? Whatever the, the math was. And we actually ran a story at this very news organization written by somebody named Reeve about the fact that one of the reasons that a difficult one-loss record on the football program is an issue in Texas is that the people who normally are enthusiastic about giving money, and then there's an admissions piece of this. People don't want to go to a school where they think that there's like a lousy athletics. I mean, as much as you may think this is ridiculous. You three all went to Northwestern. Yeah. I mean, that didn't stop us. <laughs> Did you see that was Northwestern last that was night? <laughs> Did you see Northwestern last night? Yeah. That's like a once. Beat Texas like a rented Longhorn. Did you see them That's like last a night? once in a blue moon occurrence. And we still all went Man. there. Shaka Smart's wife Ross. went to Medill. Did you know that? I didn't know that. Smart this woman. This is a true fact. Did you know this? I didn't know that. Okay. No. It is true. Let's move on. That should have been in your little <laughs> newsletter from your high school. <laughs> this was fun. Glad we did it. Now we can move <laughs> you, on. Oh, you hated it. <laughs> uh, yes. We're going to move from speaking about the most disciplined man on the planet to the least disciplined man on the planet. Sid Miller? Oh, I was talking about Donald Trump. Okay. <laughs> uh, all right. So Patrick has basically been sitting at his computer all week watching the C-SPAN stream of Donald Trump's elevators. <laughs> it's like the, watching the paint Trump dry. Tower Steadicam. Is that- <laughs> yes, it's amusing. Uh, have who have you seen in real time enter? Anyone from Texas? <laughs> yeah, he's held meetings I'm with. Glad um, got serious. Two, yeah. <laughs> he's held meetings, I think, with two prominent Texans: uh, Jeb Hensarling, congressman from uh, Dallas, and <laughs> Who's also being considered for uh, in theory. Uh, he's said to be to be considered for treasury secretary uh he also has held a, uh, a meeting with former governor rick perry who I, I guess is under consideration according to reports for several different roles including but not limited to department of defense uh, department of energy which is 
you know, the uh, department he famously forgot to name during the, the debate when he ran for president. And that he wanted to The God we worship yeah. has a sense of humor. Well, and then he such, wanted to close. Yeah. He couldn't remember it, and he wanted to close it. It is such an yeah. important department, such an important role for him. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and I guess one thing we learned since our last trip cast is that um, there were some, some murmurs that maybe Ted Cruz was under consideration for attorney general. It was never really clear how serious those rumors were, um, but, you know, Trump pretty much put that speculation to rest when he named Jeff Sessions his attorney general. I believe it was on Friday, mm-hmm. um, which makes sense. I mean, Sessions has been a close ally. And I believe you know, I'm still thinking Supreme was, Court, man. Yeah. <laughs> Supreme <laughs> there's Court. There's more news there on that front, too. Yeah. Also, on Friday, Cruz gave a speech in which he seemed to um, change his tune a little bit on whether he'd be open to serving on the Supreme Court. I know in May he told a radio interviewer um, that it was not a desire of my heart. Uh, some some language like that. And then on Friday in this speech, he was asked about it, I guess, in a Q&A section afterward. And I think um, he left the door, in my interpretation, pretty wide open. He said history uh, can take long and unexpected paths or turns or something like that. Just a reminder, if you're watching on Facebook, that you can shoot questions our way. I mean, would Cruz legitimately, doesn't being a Supreme Court justice, I mean, obviously it's an awesome gig, but doesn't it sort of cut off your career ambitions at Charles a relatively... Charles Evans Hughes almost became president of the United States after being on the Supreme mm-hmm. Court, ran against Woodrow Wilson, lost barely, and got reappointed to the Supreme Court. Glad we got the office historian here. If if you are a constitutional conservative who believes that the most important issue in this whole country is to preserve the liberty, Mm -hmm. right? And what has Cruz's whole political philosophy been since he emerged as an elected official has been that. There is no place where you can do the most as an individual to ensure that liberty is protected, the liberty as you liberty as you define it, mm-hmm. then as a Supreme Court justice. If you're one of 100 or one of 435, mm-hmm. if you're the governor of a state like Texas, even if you're president, you are constrained in how much you can ensure the blessings of liberty, as the cliche goes, right? But you can't really mouth off that much. Like, you yeah, but you know really... what? Scalia I, I didn't have what, a hard time. He did not. Scalia, and also, if Ted Cruz is appointed to the Supreme Court, he'll be chief justice within five years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, a couple questions. And w- which from... I think makes him a more power. And then he is a historic figure. He's a historic figure. I, I mean, he really has this massive influence on the world as it unfolds for mm-hmm. 50 years because he's young. Um, a couple questions about Rick Perry. Would he want to be in the cabinet? And if so, why? And would he settle for an ambassadorship if he doesn't get any of these top posts? You know, he has said in the past that he's open to serving in the Trump administration. Um, I've been told more recently that he remains, you know, open if there were a, a position offered to it. He's definitely not ruled it out, definitely hasn't said, I'm not interested. Um, so I think it's pretty realistic that if he were offered a position, he would he would take it. I haven't heard anything about, you know, whether he's open to a lower level position, like serving as an ambassador. Mm-hmm. Uh, what about Sid Miller? <laughs> I mean, do, do we legitimately – Has first of all, have we seen Sid Miller in the cowboy hat strolling through the lobby he yet? He hasn't, and we haven't gotten any word on whether he is going to meet with Trump as these meetings continue. I know Trump today is heading toward uh, Florida for Thanksgiving, and I think he's supposed to put a pause on some of these meetings, so maybe he'll resume them when he gets back. Obviously, the process is still ongoing. Um, but as far as you know, the position of agriculture secretary goes, it seems like all the speculation is centered on Sid Miller – um, I don't know how informed that speculation is, though. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Miller has been happy to kind of keep that alive. He's been, you know, uh, like keeping that ball in the yeah. air, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He's been tweeting articles that say he's under consideration. Wow. Um, and you know, he's been giving uh, his own personal lobbying yeah. campaign. <laughs> exactly. I think so. I think that would be a very hard appointment to make because he's going to spend three or four days in front of the Senate 
distracting everybody from the first hundred days, um, you know, during his confirmation mm-hmm. hearings. Even if he gets confirmed, they're going to talk about Sid Miller's tweets. We're going to have a bunch oh, of that. Tweet, in, in, tweets, tweets. We'll no, be role-playing. We're going we'll to role-playing. I'll be Diane Feinstein's feet. That could be Sid Miller, and I'll ask him about the Jesus shot. And then the whole thing is over. I mean, honestly. I mean, even if you got through. I mean, if you're, but if you're looking at it from Trump's standpoint, it's like, why would we go through that? I mean, that was a hard one. If Cruz is appointed to the court or cabinet, how will his seat be filled? Temporary appointment or special election? If it happens in 2017, it works like the Hutchison or the Ann Richards replacement of Lloyd Benson. And so Benson became Treasury Secretary under Bullock. Ann Richards appointed. Um, he suddenly blanked. Uh, luckily, Help. you have Evan and Patrick Evan here Smith, looking at their Bob phones Kruger. instead Bob of helping Kruger, thank you. you. Um, I blanked. Energy Department. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. I was on Snapchat. <laughs> appointed Bob Kruger. Kids these did an interim term. There was a special election. Kay Bailey Hutchison won the runoff and became the senator. In fact, that so special to, election was – now, again, Patrick, who was at tw- – 24 people in that election. Homestead was Fort High. Wayne Consolidated Two Independent members of High School. Homestead back in, High. Um, wearing uh, my puka well, shells. He, he wearing yeah. a puka shell necklace and, you know, <laughs> talking on its you know phone. putting a note in some girl's locker, <laughs> talking on his brick phone. Um, brick predated wa- Watching Square Pegs or one of those Degrassi or one of those shows when he got I think home that predated from school. My, my Probably it was Hey Dude on Nickelodeon. What, what is he? I don't even know what that is. Uh, what, was, what was the question? Bob Hughes. Um, Bob back Kruger. in the day, Bob Kruger ran. Burundi, that that, that, pri- that uh, special election was like 1,000 people. There were 24 people in it. There were two members of Congress. Um, oh, I remember Joe Barton. more than that. There were two. Jack I looked it up the other day. And, um, Jack Fields and Joe Barton. And Joe Barton. Ran. What about the and, guy? There was uh, another guy, older guy, who used to be in Congress. K. Bailey Hutchison ran and was state treasurer at the time. She and Kruger both got um, 29% in the first round. And then she killed him in the second round. Murdered. Two, two to one. Murdered. Um, but it was interesting. And it's this whole, there was this whole showdown down at the um, governor's mansion of people That's going through trying to get the appointment when Kruger got it. John Sharp wanted it. Henry Cisneros wanted it. Right. A bunch of people were lined and up. And the rumor that. was, never confirmed, and I'm not saying that this actually happened. I'm just... <laughs> Oh, really? Just repeating it, it yeah. Rumors. Was that Ann Richards thought that John Sharp wasn't pro-choice enough? I think that's right. You know? Yeah. See, yeah. there you go. I confirm my rumor, um, at, which is why he didn't get the appointment, right? But here's the other thing. Right. So go back, come back to the Cruz thing. Why does it make sense for Trump to appoint Cruz? I mean, you ask why does it make sense for Cruz to, to want the job? You avoid a divisive Republican primary for the Senate, which could conceivably be coming. I mean, if Chris Kobach and his visible paperwork ends up being Department of Homeland Security Secretary, as opposed to McCall. Great moments in social media. All right, right. we didn't mention McCall. Um, you know, and so McCall's still hanging around, and people say, well, we're going to still put McCall up against Cruz. It avoids that. It gives the constitutional conservatives who are suspicious of Trump something to hang their hats on. If you appoint Cruz to the Supreme right. Court, all is forgiven. Right. Actually, a question from Annette right. on Facebook. Would, uh, I mean, do you think Cruz would get confirmed? Would the moderate Republicans like, love to Lindsey just get him out of there? Lindsey Graham would testify on his behalf. Just they, get him out of there? The people who don't like Cruz would be the first people to be enthusiastic about The, the Democrats him would out. be pretty uniformly against that. I think the Republicans would probably just say, yeah, absolutely. And there are enough votes. And the reunion party between Cruz and Roberts would be great. We just got a question that's a good transition to the next thing I wanted to talk about, and that is Dan Patrick and his latest list of priorities. Question from Marty. What's Dan Patrick's reward for being party chairman for Trump? Does he get anything out of this deal? He has said ever since uh, basically the morning after the election that he is not interested in serving in the Trump administration. He has he told me and other reporters that uh, he's already informed the Trump transition team. If you offered me a job, I wouldn't take it. 
So wait, if you offer me a job, I'm I, I'm, I'm not going to take it. it. Yeah, oh, I, I, I said it. I'm going to take so, it. So yeah, he's and, he's pretty quickly and you know pretty firmly ruled himself out. Meanwhile, he has released round two of his legislative priorities of his, priority, 30, things, of his right. thirty things. Right. So what's what are the, what are the latest items on Patrick's to do list? I think the most notable one was uh, he put, uh, you know, at the top of the second round of priorities, uh, CPS reform or child welfare system reform. Right. One of the true bipartisan issues in this. Sure, which, which well, he had gotten some attention for uh, leaving off his first list of 10 priorities. I don't think there was like a firestorm, but people kind of raised an eyebrow and said, why isn't this on there? May I just jump on my soapbox for a moment on this particular topic? So we actually have... So, oh, jump. So we have a, a breaking news story on our site right now by Edgar Walters that is basically Paxton's office, uh, AG Ken Paxton's office has released this big filing basically saying, you know, we think these special masters appointed to oversee this, you know, CPS reform, our bunk. We're wasting money on this. We don't like their recommendations. We think their recommendations aren't even right on, and we can fix this system better on our own. Yet this has been a giant problem. You know, this isn't a new crisis. CPS has been in, you know, well, how about a, reform? a catastrophic situation. There, there, there are an more awful than lot of problems that the state of Texas says we don't want help. We're going to fix it ourselves. But it's been a long time and they haven't fixed it. The right. budget writers in the Texas legislature have been redlining a bunch of programs for years and years. And, you know, they're just sort of running them up in the area where one of these is going to fail. And this one is the failure of the moment. You know, kids who are supposed to be protected by the state are dying while they're supposed to be protected. The foster care program is so screwed up, you've still got kids a year and a half maybe after we first found out this was going on, you've mm -hmm. still got kids sleeping overnight in state offices. It's nuts. This they're not doing their job. This court case was started in like 2014. And, I mean, and the, you know, the, they're just not doing their job. And the federal government, you know, the current administration in the federal government has very little confidence in them. And this Paxton the and yeah. some of the others in the state government are hoping the next executive branch We'll give them a little bit of rope, but the the record doesn't argue for giving them much rope. Well, and in their legal filing, they're saying the problems aren't really as exactly as bad as you all think they are. Really, who says that? Paxton's office. Charles Smith is the executive commissioner of HHSC, and when he was on stage at TripFest, you know, he said, you know, the governor's given me very explicit instructions not to have any more kids die on our mm -hmm. watch, and I said, well, how much is that going to cost? And he said. I need 1,300 employees, and I need north of $400 million. It's not a small problem that's just going to wash by. Mm -hmm. Correct. Mm -hmm. All right, so what else is on uh, Patrick's list? Well, there were, uh, the, other, the other issues on there were issues that we've seen before from him, issues that he, he pushed during the last session uh, and that state Senate Republicans also pushed during the last session. Uh, union dues, I recall, was on mm -hmm. there. Um, that was— This is dues checkoff, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Property exactly. tax relief. Yep. We didn't because yeah. we didn't get enough of that last session. What did it, it ended up being like a yeah. hundred bucks? Well, or we something? had franchises back on there, franchise tax back on there. Yeah. Although, allegedly, he took. I thought this is a step on this for a second. Sure, sure. He actually said specifically, and he had said this to me two weeks ago at a public event, phase out. Right. There are some people who want to come in and just gut the whole franchise tax, and that would actually be a huge hit to the budget. Yeah, they don't this have the money the debate to during that. the last session. Right. Too. So what the lieutenant governor said to me on stage a couple weeks ago, and what he said in his priorities was phase out, which means a chunk. Mm -hmm. Not the whole thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think the, the bigger news here is that, you know, Dan Patrick has very, uh, you know, in a very organized way laid out his priorities. We've obviously right. seen public statements and some public remarks from 
the two other big leaders, Greg Abbott and Joe Strauss, but, you know, obviously uh, neither of them have, have laid out their priorities in this organized uh, of a fashion. Well, and let, me, let me say a word about Strauss on that. So I'm going to interview Strauss on Tuesday at our legislative preview. And, of course, one might go, well, how come there's not a list of priorities from Strauss? For one thing, there is. Patrick is going to be lieutenant governor next session. Strauss is not going to be speaker next session until Strauss is reelected by his members. I mean, I think it would almost well, be presumptuous. Uh, come on. I, I think that's a safe presumption. I, but I think it's presumptuous of Strauss to put out a list of priorities for the next session until he's speaker. It's he's a platform. Never, he's never yeah. been as, prescript, as prescriptive. You know, what What Patrick is doing is laying out a legislative agenda, almost as if he were a senator. Here's my 30 bills. Mm-hmm. They happen to have other people's names on them because I'm not allowed to put my name on them. Yeah, right. And that tells you not only about his priorities, but the hierarchy right. of his priorities. Well, and his priorities, you know, right. the priority list is one, the two, lower three, the four. Number, the lower the bill number, and the better, the, the more of bill numbers. Right. Yeah correspond with the numbers in his list. Mm-hmm. You know, he's clearly thought this out. It's a very aggressive, ambitious legislative And Patrick's program. leadership style is different than Strauss's and, and different Strauss, than Abbott's. Strauss has said, right. look, there's five areas where I want the legislature to work. You know, he told the San Antonio Hispanic Chamber last week or the week before, you know, these are five areas where I want mm-hmm. the legislature to work. Greg Abbott has got a couple of legacies from his last state of the state speech, ethics reform, um, some of the franchise right, tax which, reform. By the way, Patrick also put ethics reform right. yeah. on his um, list, but I don't know that his version of ethics reform. The fight's still going to be yeah, dark yeah. money. The fight's still going to be, do you have right. to reveal political contributions to poli- it's be contributions if, to political mm, nonprofits? You know, as the talk, among, uh, the, talk Pat, al- yeah. the talk along the corridor, I'm sorry, the talk right. along the corridor here, which right. is the Austin Club to the Starbucks. Evans Corridor. Well, yeah. no, this is the corridor. The bubble, like that Senate life right. skit. The bubble. Right. Uh, uh, that Byron Cook could conceivably be chair not of state affairs but of calendars this time. Right. Very interesting because mm-hmm. Byron Cook was a major player in that whole fight over dark money. Right. Right. And he got reelected despite the efforts of those who oppose him to defeat him. And the question is, you know, I mean, chairmanships matter, and whoever ends up being chair of those committees is going to make a difference. And the fight between the Senate and the House, I will pop popcorn. Right. As I do every two years. And then Greg Abbott will lay out his detailed stuff, I guess, in the state of the state speech. That's usually the place yeah. where we're going to have any emergency yeah. items. What do you think? Foster yeah, we are. care, yeah, CPS. We are. Oh, sure. Foster care, CPS. What else? There's well, going to be a <laughs> supplemental bill of about $2 billion. $1.7 billion is the Medicaid The budget shortfall? is a mess. They entered the last session with $8 billion in cash. Right. They entered this one with $2 billion in cash. They're going to spend it pretty quickly on a supplemental budget. They start at zero. What else besides Medicaid? And um, they've just got a bunch of stuff. They've got, you know, bills that showed up in the interim, you know. Right. But the good news, of course, so I keep thinking, Medicaid's again, this will one. come up on Tuesday when we do our preview. One of the interesting things that we don't yet know, but it's definitely a different thing than what we had thought, say, a month ago, is that the legislative session playing out against the backdrop of a Trump administration is different right. than the legislative session oh, playing absolutely. against the backdrop of a Clinton administration. For instance, as we have reported and others have reported, there's talk about zeroing out or significantly reducing border security funding. Right. That was $800 million in the last budget. DPS has asked for more than a billion, at least that's the rumor, that they want more than a billion in the next budget. If you suddenly reclaim a billion dollars, but if you suddenly reclaim a billion dollars... That's a lot of money. That's mm-hmm. a lot of money that could be deployed to other things. Right. Yep. If we suddenly get out of the business of suing the federal government every five minutes... But they're not going to... Well, first of all, they're not going to zero out border security funding without... A, a clear right. indication that they right. have. Those but what has the conversation been? Well, and the, we and now the other, have our guy in there. The other yeah, thing well, is that the legislature meets in the first half of this year, while Trump's still getting his footing. Right. 
Well, the, the, federal, the federal changes the aren't going to happen pissing fast all enough. Over the New York They're Times not going to happen fast enough right. for the yeah. Texas legislature to have to change anything. Well, since it's almost Thanksgiving, I'm going to allow our readers to ask a couple of questions of Evan that they have on their <laughs> list because it's fun. What did I do? First or, question from your friend Tyler Norris. <laughs> he <laughs> wants to know who's saving Evan's place in line for the for Bruce Springsteen at Book People. Zero people. I'm not. I'm what do I look like? Abby Livingston? I don't give a crap about Springsteen. He's not going to talk. Apparently, he's just going to. Right. You get a signed I've, book, I've asked him to be on Overheard, next. and he has re- I, we don't know whether he'll do it, but I think he's not going to. Yeah. And if he doesn't, I'm just going to sit in my house and listen to cover versions of Atlantic City done by other people because I actually like them better than his own. Fine. The second and final important question is, are, is Evan vegan or vegetarian, and what, do those, moment, and what do those people eat at Thanksgiving? At the moment, I'm a vegetarian. I'll go back to being a vegan January 1st. So what and are you going to— the gonna, answer is none of your damn business. Wait. <laughs> well, I'd like to know. Butter. I don't know, mashed potatoes and shit. I don't know. I, mean, I, I always, it's all about Thanksgiving butter. Thanksgiving is not a the holiday for people like me. between I'm vegans saying. and vegetarians is butter. No, it's milk. Butter. No, we could do a whole podcast about how disgusting milk is. The point of Thanksgiving is that it's for is all people. Butter's one of the basic What? Milk is like one of the groups. most delicious foods on Yeah, but but you can't cook most of this stuff without butter. Milk is disgusting. Butter's fine. Milk is not disgusting. See there? That's the vegetarian part of butter. When I walk out in the kitchen in the morning and I go to get the milk for my cereal, I find that my husband has been guzzling from it in the middle of the night. That's because, what you're supposed to do. Because he's a baboon. No, that's what no, that's what milk in the <laughs> your refrigerator is, is your for. Your husband is a barbarian. <laughs> when you're when you're a grown man, you get to reach in there and pull the milk out no. and drink right out of it. And your mom doesn't yell at you. Do you still do that? that? Yeah, I still do that. Oh, my God. This is why your mother-in-law should have done the intro to the trip cast. She could have talked about the baboonish traits of your husband. I've been drinking out of those cartons since I could reach. I'm basically married to Ross Ramsey. If my husband turns out to be half the man Ross Ramsey is, I will be a lucky woman. I'll be thankful for that. I'm staying out of the rest of it. I was trying to diagram that sentence. (laughs) All right. That's all the time we have. Svitek is back on the phone with his his high school Facebook alumni group. (laughs) Svitek is over here going, get me out of this. If you have questions or comments or just want to tell us how thankful you are for the TribCast, you can email us at TribCast at TexasTribune.org. Exactly. Zero people are going to say that they're thankful for us. (laughs) They're thankful for us. Thanks to Shiny Herbs for doing our music. And on behalf of Evan... Patrick, Ross, and our producers, Todd and Bobby. This is Emily. Thanks for listening. Texas talking. Texas talking. Texas talking. You know what a puka shell necklace is? Yeah, you know they're what a terrible. Shell is? I, I probably wore one in middle school. Oh my god, it's those white shells. <laughs> impossible. It's possible. Impossible. It's totally possible. One. There were no puka shells in Fort Wayne. <laughs> it is not possible. I got on vacation probably. Sandy.